Isabel Gives a New Year's Dinner and Brings Mother to the Rescue by Diana Parrish. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wayne Cook. Isabel Gives a New Year's Dinner and Brings Mother to the Rescue. Fate seemed to be against Tom and Isabel's New Year's Eve dinner party from the start. The very day itself began with a blinding storm, which made one very disagreeable. It was so dark that she and Tom were half an hour late in getting up. The baby waked and hindered them with a peevish fretting so that Tom was three-quarters of an hour later than usual when he dashed off the porch to catch a car for the office without kissing Isabel goodbye. Both of them were annoyed that he should be late for work on the very day that he was going to bring his manager and his wife home for dinner. It looked as if he were making extraordinary preparations. Tom wanted the dinner to be without pretense, just the usual sort of dinner that they had every night. Isabel watched Tom from the door with her lace cap awry. Indeed, it came dangerously near covering completely one eye, in her dismay at not being kissed goodbye, she scarcely noticed it. Then, suddenly bethinking herself of the task before her, she wheeled about. A puff of smoke from the chafing dish met her eye. Her nose told her that the electric current under it had not been turned off, and that the remains of the scrambled eggs from breakfast had been burned into abominable-smelling gas. She switched off the current and carried the blackened pan to the kitchen. The burnt eggs struck her as being a bad omen. Isabel gathered the dishes into the sink, busily planning the while the best procedure for the day. The pastry must be made immediately after the dishes were finished. The thought of making pastry on the day of company was rather disturbing. Indeed, Isabel was conscious of a feeling of guilt when she recalled that she had spent the two days before in shopping and at parties instead of beginning preparations for the dinner for Mr. Benson and his wife. She wondered if she could not omit the pastry from her menu, but she remembered that Tom had asked especially to have green pea patties, as he had told Mr. Benson about the delicious ones Isabel could make and had promised to let him sample them. No, Tom should not be disappointed, and Isabel splashed into the dishes so that she could make good her promise. As she dried the first plate, she heard a faint sound of crying from the bedroom. In her deep absorption, she had forgotten to feed and dress the baby. She listened again. The cries grew stronger, and she hastened in. Darling, do's move a forget she gurgled. Tommy howled the louder, no doubt to show appreciation of his mother's attention. There, there. She soothed with queer little twists of the voice which we like to use on infants. But the infant could not be soothed, and while he was being bathed, dressed, and fed, he cried fretfully. Poor Isabel was nearly distracted when she finally got him into his little bed asleep. Mercy! It's half-past eleven, she screamed, glancing at the clock, and I haven't done one thing. Isabel pondered. Better to give up the idea of pastry, but 
Tom's promise to Mr. Benson. Why, oh why, had the boy promised to give the boss a taste of his wife's pastry? Again Isabel resolved that her husband should not be disappointed. Leaving the dishes unfinished, she began on the pastry in order to get it into the ice chest to chill properly. Carefully she measured the ingredients for the wonderful paste. A pound of flour and a pound of butter. Sift the flour, then work in part of the butter. Add sufficient ice water to make a dough of the right consistency. Isabel proceeded slowly with the intricate folding in of the remaining butter. How queer the butter seemed today. It was impossible to get it right. The flour seemed to stick to it in large lumps. Some of the flour was full of butter and some of it was totally without. She worked the paste round and round. In her anxiety she worked it too long and the paste formed into a sticky mass instead of crisp-looking dough. In desperation she added a little more flour, hoping to get the right results. But it was no use. With disturbing visions beginning to haunt her, she pushed the stuff into the refrigerator. Then she turned hastily to her dishes. As she put her hands into the dishpan, she glanced nervously at the clock. She was shocked to see the fingers pointing to half-past one. She had spent two hours with the wretched paste. Horrified, she considered again. The mayonnaise must be made that very minute, if they were to have salad. It also must be chilled thoroughly. Isabel brought olive oil from the refrigerator and broke the yolks of two eggs into a bowl. She beat the eggs hurriedly, mentally chiding herself the while for so foolishly leaving her preparation until the last day. She added a pinch of salt to thicken the yolks and beat on and on, then a drop of oil into the eggs, beating slowly and carefully. A little more oil, more beating, and the dressing was beautifully thick and yellow. Now a spoonful of the lemon juice, and then the oil again. The rest was easy. The mayonnaise being well started, the oil could be poured in more rapidly. She turned in a thin stream, which thickened up quickly under the beater. She lifted the can again. A thin stream started slowly out and ended in drops. Isabel sank into a chair in consternation. The oil can was empty. With a sinking heart, she realized that it was Wednesday afternoon and the grocery stores were all closed. She also painfully remembered that the Bensons disliked any sort of boiled salad dressing. Isabel pulled herself together sharply. There was not a minute to be lost. Banishing the disturbing thoughts of the dishes and the untidy house, she brought in the chickens. She cut the string from the parcel and turned out two big fat chickens into a fresh bed of parsley. Joel, the Italian poultryman, had kept his word very well. I clean him very good, madam, I clean him very good. Encouraged by the appearance of the poultry, Isabel made haste with the stuffing, which was to be made with nothing less delectable than chestnuts. She opened the bag of nuts, and after determined and painful effort, succeeded in tearing them from their shells. Nothing daunted, she proceeded according to the directions of the cookbook, and poured boiling water over the wonderful nuts. Yes, Isabel was making chestnut stuffing for the first time. She was going against the oldest maximum her mother possessed. Never try a new dish for company. 
It seemed as if the boiling water created an immediate affinity between those nuts and their tough brown skins. Isabel gingerly pulled one of them out and tried to peel off the skin. It stuck like the proverbial paper on the wall. She tried another, and another, and another. She cut her finger with a sharp little knife. Then she tried another. At that moment the telephone rang frantically. It was a shock to Isabel. It woke Tommy up and started him crying. The bell kept on ringing. Isabel rushed to answer it. Hello, she shrieked. Hello? Number, please, cooed the cool, honey-sweet voice of the telephone operator. Number, screamed Isabel. Didn't you just ring here? Wrong number, floated over the wire, and the telephone switch clicked in Isabel's ear. She hung up the receiver and started toward the bedroom. Taking up the baby, she walked the floor with him. It was not scientific to do such a thing, but for that matter, the latest authorities on baby raising disapproved of picking the child up at all. He should be left to cry until he stopped. Anyway, she was not in a mood for science, so she patted the baby and bounced him about as she fretted over the dinner. I was silly to leave all these things until today, and I should have done what Tom told me to do, get Bessie to tend the baby. I... A dreadful squall from Tommy cut short her reflection. Whatever is the matter with this child? She walked early to and fro, swinging and swaying her son. She undid his clothes and made an exhaustive examination for any stray pins, which are the terror of the young mother's life. And still the child cried. Isabel was trembling now. She was terrified by the violent screams. Back and forth, back and forth, she paced utterly helpless to know what to do. Should she telephone Tom? Tom was probably busy with Mr. Benson. It might mean a disturbance. Should she telephone her mother? She didn't like to bother her mother. Anyway, who would hold the baby while she did telephone? Back and forth, back and forth. At length she dropped into a chair exhausted by the excitement and worry. Tears rolled down her cheeks and mingled with those of the howling baby. Just then there was a slight tap at the door, and Mother, smiling brightly, pushed in. "'You poor dear!' began Mother, totally ignoring the appearance of the house. "'The baker boy told me he heard your baby crying, so I came over.' Isabel could not speak. She weakly handed the baby to her mother. Mother felt the child, examined his clothes, and then, laying him face downward over her arm, she walked into the kitchen. "'About what I thought,' she murmured to herself as she poured boiling water over the powdered catnip leaves which she had ventured to bring along. While the tea steeped, she tried to soothe the child, who, seemingly affected by her very presence, quieted down to fitful squeaks. A little cream and a little sugar in the tea, and then, between squeals, Tommy was fed his catnip tea. Mother's Faithful Cure-All. "'Will he be all right?' asked the frightened daughter, following her mother into the kitchen. "'Quite,' answered Mother. The very relief seemed to unnerve Isabel further. She wept unrestrainably, meanwhile telling Mother of her distress. "'I should have done the pastry yesterday, all the things for that matter, 
Today everything I touched went wrong. The paste is a complete failure, and all my butter is gone except what I need for the table. My oil was gone, and I did not know it until too late, and I couldn't skin the horrid chestnuts, spluttered Isabel between sobs. Mother's eyebrows went up at the word chestnuts. Wisely, she refrained from asking questions. She tiptoed into the bedroom and laid the sleeping baby down. Now about dinner. She came back into the kitchen and glanced at the clock. Three o'clock. Without scruple, Mother rolled up the sleeves of her best afternoon blouse. She tied an apron around her waist. How would it be to serve the asparagus hot with butter and serve plain lettuce as a salad with that old Spanish dressing made of cream? Isabel nodded acquiescence. You run along and straighten these rooms and lay the table. I'll, I'll get these things started. In the face of disaster, Mother was the seasoned soldier. Isabel, the raw recruit. The way Mother whipped into that dinner was something to glory in. Under her swift fingers, a little flour, lard, salt, and water became crisp, crinkling patties of a perfect brown. Under her skillful hands, breadcrumbs, a little butter, finely minced onion, and seasoning became the savory filling that sent a tempting fragrance in the kitchen when the chickens went into the oven. A little whipped cream, thinned with a few drops of vinegar, sweetened with sugar, and toned up with paprika, developed into a salad dressing fit to grace a king's table. Isabel came into the kitchen and found the transformation. She knew what wizard deeds her mother could do, but it seemed to her they had never been so magical before. Now you get into your dinner dress, dear, and you will have time for a little rest. I'll take baby home with me and send Beatrice over to help you. Isabel choked up again. How can you be so wonderful, mother? How could I thank you or return the kindness? And however did you know how to manage the baby? Mother rolled down her sleeves slowly. Wait till you have seven. And she smiled her knowing little smile. End of Isabel Gives a New Year's Dinner and Brings Mother to the Rescue by Diana Farish